The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning because of a, a, a real deep need in my life for what I want to pursue. Now, we've talked about the topic a number of times in the past, but I think it's good to revisit things uh, for the purpose of repetition. I mean, I personally believe that it's repetition that makes revelation a reality in your lives. I mean, you'll hear something and think, wow, that's great. But it's, it's hearing that thing repeated that makes it become an active part of who you are and, and how you function. So we're few in number this morning. That means you're going to have to be extra uh, uh, loud and aggressive in your participation. Really want to make sure we dial in and, and receive something great this morning. Uh, if you have uh, some note-taking materials, I want to encourage you to grab those. If you have your Bibles with you, you can take those out. Uh, you can go ahead and, and open up. Uh, I want to ask you to open up to the book of Matthew. As you open up there, I want to share with you a few things we're going to find in the Word. So if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, specifically chapter 11, uh, you can be making your way there, navigating there, as I share a few things we're going to find in the Word. A few things that we're going to find as we go through the Scripture, we'll find this one out right away, but it's, it's what Jesus is. Now, I know that sounds a little weird. Normally, you would say, who, who, who excuse me, who Jesus is, but uh, there's something that Jesus describes himself as that obviously makes up who he is, and I want to see what that thing is, what that thing is. So what Jesus is, and it's important for us to know that. Another thing that we're going to find is what makes you great? What makes you great? There's something that God brings into our lives that makes us great, and, and it makes sense when we see it because we've all been around people that we admired, people that we thought, wow, that's a great guy, right? I mean, I'm just saying that kind of shooting from the hip, but I'm sure you've been around individuals, you know, a man or woman, that just left a, an impression that leave, left you thinking that's a really great person. And there's something that God promises to bring into our lives or that he offers to bring into our lives, and it makes us great. I believe when that element is present in our lives, the people that we're around walk away thinking, wow, that, that's a great guy. Or, wow, she's a really great woman. So in this case, we're going to find out what that is. And then another thing we're going to find is what we need to stay aware of. There's something that we constantly need to be aware of. If we're not aware of it, it can be a real problem for us. It can be a, a major challenge. It can be very difficult to overcome. So we need to stay aware of, of that thing. Uh, I want to get into the word here. I asked you to go to Matthew. If you have your Bibles there, we're in Matthew chapter 11. I mentioned we're going to find out what Jesus is or, or what Jesus has that makes him who he is. Matthew chapter 11, I want to look specifically at verses 29 and 30. 29 and 30. So Jesus is speaking here in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 11. And he makes this comment. He's speaking to his disciples that would be me and you today. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's what Jesus said. That's, that's, that's what he spoke. That's what's recorded in the scripture. Did you notice when he described himself the words that he used? 
I mean, he identifies this offering, you know, hey, take on my yoke, learn from me. And this is an extension, an offer to you. He's saying, I want to partner in this. That's what a yoke is. You know, if you had uh, two cattle that were used to plow a field, they would be connected so the two could work as one with the yoke. Jesus is offering help so that something can come to pass. He says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. So he's offering this partnership and he's offering his instruction and his example so that we can learn from him. Learn what? Well, he follows it up by saying, hey, let's partner. You can learn from me for. Now that word for there is is an interesting word. I mean, you can substitute the word for with the word because. Right? I mean, we, sometimes we have a little visit to English class. English class was never really my favorite thing, even though I speak English. I didn't really enjoy studying English. But, you know, you could substitute the word because with the word for. Like, you know, I hope that this preacher doesn't preach long for I am hungry. <laughs> right? Or you could say, I hope the preacher doesn't preach long because I'm hungry. They're, they're, they're one of the same. We don't say for a lot because it sounds a little formal, just a little stiff, right? Uh, but we use the word because a lot. So sometimes I like to put the word because in there, and I think it helps to understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, take my yoke upon you, or, or let's partner. Let's partner in this. Learn from me. I'm going to offer my example. I'm going to teach you because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. The result will be you'll find rest for your souls. I've got news for you. I, I want that. And I made a comment to a couple of, of the worship team when we were talking before the service that this has been one of the more challenging weeks that I've had in, in a long time. I think in there I was a little dramatic, you know, and I said like in my life. And the truth is it, it, would, be on the, it would make the list, you know. But there were a lot of things that I was trying to accomplish. I was trying to, to, to do things in, in honor and respect my family and also things in, in my workplace and, and then my other workplace and then my other workplace. I mean, there were lots of things going on. And then, you know, in the midst of all of that, would get, a, you know, a text or information that something tragic had happened. And, and there were multiple things like that throughout the week where normally one of those things would have been enough to, to throw a, a bit of a wrench into a plan or a schedule or a week. But to have six or seven of those things was just a bit much. So when I see this, when I see Jesus offer a promise of rest for my soul, I kind of want to underline that promise. I want to circle it. I want to highlight it in my Bible and say, whatever it takes, whatever instruction he's offering to get that, that's obviously what I need. Rest for my soul. Because I'm stressed. Because I'm tense. Because I'm freaking out. I think that's actual Old Testament Hebrew, freaking out, you know. But you, you look at this and you realize Jesus is offering something that's got tremendous value for every one of our lives, that we might have rest in our soul. So the word soul there, it's worth stopping just to identify what that is. So it doesn't just remain some, you know, a spiritual biblical word that really has no real life application in, in our everyday existence. But your soul is, is who you are. I mean, it exists in the realm of your mind, your personality, things like your intelligence and intellect and your emotions, uh, your imagination. Uh, these are the things that would make up your, your soul. And whenever we've talked about soul, I, I've often used this example because it's so relevant in my life. You know, I've got two sons. They're twins. I mean, they might share the same DNA physically, but yet their personality and their person 
is completely different. They're different in their souls. That's what God wove together and put together. I mean, their bodies are the result of my DNA and their mother's DNA, you know, reproducing, and then you have children in bodily form. But their soul, the thing that makes them who they are, I I can't make that. I can affect it with learned behaviors and things like that, instruction and teaching, but I can't create that. So your soul is who you are. It makes up your person, your being. Not just the, the physical meat and bones, but your identity as, as a human, as, as a child of God. And Jesus is offering rest for the very core of who you are as an individual. And I think that's a really awesome thing to, to get in line for. So as he's given instruction for this, he's, he's offering this partnership, and that partnership can be received or rejected. He's offering his example. His example can be received or rejected. But then he's identifying why he is a worthy teacher. Hey, take my yoke on you. Let's partner in this. Follow my example. I'm a good example to follow. Remember, not for, but because. Because. Because I'm gentle. And because I'm humble in heart. So I want to tell you one of the challenges that affected me this week. There are individuals that, that look to me for, for employment or they look to me for, for some things in their lives to grow and advance. And we had some challenges this week. Some things were done that were, shouldn't have been done. Uh, so those things were knowingly uh, not done. It was a real difficult thing. And it was very frustrating for me. It's, it's rare for me to use words like, like you know, mad or angry or something like that. I mean, I'll use words like frustrated or disappointed a lot, but I got news for you, man. I was mad. And I felt that rise up and I knew it was wrong. I I didn't like it. And And dealing with this, I had to ask myself, how am I going to deal with this? My first way of dealing with it, I didn't like. The first thing that I did was, was, was loud. It was aggressive it was, it was very uh, uh, passive-aggressive with, with even threats and challenges. It was not effective, in my opinion. And when I walked away from the situation, immediately when I walked away from the situation, I felt a conviction in my heart that I didn't do that right. I mean, actually, I was ready to give myself a gold star because I didn't hit anybody, Right? It's like, man, I sure handled that right because I didn't get out of the truck and, and start throwing punches, and everybody knows that would be wrong. I mean, that would be criminal. But I was wanting to reward myself for, for not just really losing it in the world's eyes. But yet I still didn't feel like I handled it right. It felt wrong. And so, you know, after examining it, after looking at it, after praying about it, God, what do I need to do with that? I became more aware of of the lack of gentleness and the lack of humility in my heart in handling that situation and the need to be more like Jesus. The need to yoke myself to him, to partner with him, and to follow his example. That the result would be less stress or rest for my soul. So I revisited the situation. I went and talked with one of the guys who's in charge, and I said, hey, I think I need to talk with so-and-so again about this, and, and uh, I want to just approach it a little different. And what's really funny was, you know, the guy is, is, is not known for being, you know, the mighty prophet of God, but yet he, he didn't even realize it, but he served as the voice of God in that situation. He said something. He said, yeah, you should really be gentle because he looks up to you. 
Those words pierced my heart. I mean, they really did. I, I immediately realized, yeah, I, I understand that, and I need to handle this differently. You should be gentle because he looks up to you. He's looking to your example, meaning he's going to mimic and mirror what he sees you do. If you're a jerk, then he's going to be a jerk later on. If you're mean, then later on, when it's his turn to handle a situation, he'll be mean. If you're violent, later on, when it's his turn to handle a situation, he's going to be violent. You should really be gentle because he looks up to you. I look at this passage of Scripture and I realize Jesus is saying something really important. He's not just offering kind of chicken soup for the soul, like to give you warm and fuzzies, like, hey, I'll give you rest for your souls. Just take my yoke. Let me think of the most poetic thing I could say. But rather, he's giving real-life instruction for success. He's saying, listen, I'm qualified. I'm qualified because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. I'm a safe person to mimic. I'm a safe person to look up to. You can follow my example, and then later on, when it's your turn, you can do the same thing you saw me doing, and I promise you, you're going to get a good result. Now, oftentimes, we have examples that aren't uh, gentle and aren't humble in heart, whether it's an abusive parent or whether it is a, a, a tyrannical boss or authority figure. We've been exposed to situations of abuse. It can be in a, in a marriage. It could be a spousal situation. Any situation where there's relationship, there's opportunity to be exposed to an example that's destructive to follow. There have been times I've spoken to my own children and I've realized, you know, that's not the route that I want to go, but I know where that comes from. I remember my dad or I remember my grandfather or I remember someone down the line, a coach, anybody that handled a situation like that and now here I am and I sounded just like them. But Jesus is telling us, listen, I'm here to offer you an example. It should affect how we read the scripture. It should affect how we pray. It should affect our relationship with Jesus. Jesus, be my example. Because you're gentle, because you're humble in heart, you don't have a chip on your shoulder. You're not hurt and wounded and offended. You're not trying to prove something to someone. You are absolutely stable and absolutely secure. Let me look to you for the example so that I can mimic you. Many of our examples are unstable, and Jesus offers himself as gentle. Uh, gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It makes sense that Jesus would be gentle, the one whom the Holy Spirit came upon and remained, that same Holy Spirit that is poured out upon us today so that we could have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You'll find them listed in Galatians in chapter 5. Verses 22 and 23, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then gentleness, followed by self-control. I've never really considered that there's an order to those, but I do think it's interesting that self-control would, would be the one at the end. That to bring gentleness into our life is to have more control over our actions to not fly off the handle, to not lose our cool, to not be led by anger and frustration, but rather to be led by Jesus' example. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah that identifies Jesus and how he functions and operates. Isaiah 42, verse 3. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring justice. 
Now, if we don't stop and pause and allow the Holy Spirit to, to make sense of this, it can simply sound like uh, something poetic, and, and we cannot catch the, the meaning of it. The reality is we're surrounded by people that have been hurt. We're surrounded by people that have been wounded. We're surrounded by people. Think about a dimly burning wick and what that is. I mean, you start a candle, and it's maybe you know, six inches tall, and you light it, and then over time, it just burns down and down and down, and then you have a dimly burning wick. It means it's kind of at the end of its rope, right? I mean, it, it's coming close to the end. We're surrounded by people that are about to lose it. We're surrounded by people that are at the end of their rope. We're surrounded by people that are so hurt and in such desperate need for help. The, the, the way Jesus is revealed to us is as one who doesn't take those people and finish them off. Rather, he takes those people and he lifts them up. I look at the guys that I'm around, the guys that do things that maybe upset me or frustrate me, and I start to ask myself, how can I address this situation in a way that lifts him up and makes him better instead of beats him down and just humiliates him for the moronic thing that he did? The ignorant thing, the mistake, the failure. And it's important for us to take on the example of Jesus Christ, that we can help those around us to grow instead of cut them down. Even those that are around us that are, are bringing frustration and provocation, those that have been hurt and wounded, and that's all they know how to bring. We have a call and an anointing on our lives to help lift them up. Now, this doesn't happen by accident. I want to just let you know that being gentle is something that is pursued. I mean, I, I want to just read a passage of Scripture to you, and, and we'll look at it uh, together. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. It's a call for this young man to respond to God's uh, uh, anointing on his life and to function in the way that God's called him to do. He's called to flee from evil things. And then it says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance. And then the last one there is, and gentleness. Gentleness. Now, when I see that word pursue, it, it stands out to me because pursue requires effort. I mean, you've got to pursue, or you've got to have effort to pursue something. I mean, if gentleness is on this list of things that need to be pursued, we need to just consider what it means to pursue. I mean, oftentimes when we use that word or, or hear that word, it's probably in some you know, a, a you know, police drama where you've got car chases and we're in pursuit, right? We're, we're moving, we're changing location in order to apprehend the thing that we're chasing. So for us to pursue gentleness, it may mean doing things different than you're doing them right now in order to apprehend or lay hold of gentleness. So for me in my situation, when I was provoked and just angry and ready to just erupt with rage, I needed to, to not go there, and I needed to move somewhere else. Not just change my physical location, but change my mentality. My first mentality was vengeance. You did that, now you're going to feel the pain. I had to move into a mentality of how can I help this guy who doesn't know any better than to cheat? How can I help this guy who doesn't know any better than to steal? How can I help this guy who doesn't know any better than to lie? How can I raise him up past that and not just condemn him to stay there and have his life be ruled by that corruption? I had to pursue it. 
That means it just wasn't naturally present, rather. I had to, to move to the place where gentleness existed, seize the gentleness, and then apply the gentleness. Gentleness is pursued. Gentleness is proof that wisdom exists, that we're not just functioning like complete and total idiots. I mean, honestly, the things that I was willing to confess and showing my clay feet, I even said they're even criminal. I mean, it would be foolish to, to, to throw your life away out of just some silly, stupid provocation that next week won't even be a big deal at all. But handling things with gentleness is revealing of wisdom. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of the book of James. James 3.13. Who among you is wise? And then there's a question mark. So it's a question being asked. To, to the church, who among you is wise? And then it gives this as the criteria for wisdom. Who among you is wise? Let him show it by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Basically, you could, you could say the same thing and apply it to my situation by saying, you know, who among you is wise? Let him show it by not jumping out of his truck and making a total jerk out of himself. But who among you is wise? Let him show it. It's going to show. Wisdom will show in these things. First of all, good behavior. Good behavior. Now that's painting with a real broad stroke, a stroke, excuse me, but that broad stroke is a real important stroke. To step outside of those lines is to leave righteousness. We have a call through self-control and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to behave in a manner that would be identified as good, productive, fruitful. And then in addition, the deeds are done in gentleness. The gentleness that wisdom produces. You know, we mentioned that gentleness reveals wisdom. There's a reason for that. And you'll find that same, uh, uh, you'll find that reason in the same chapter there of James, James 3.17. James 3.17 reads like this, that wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, Reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. That when we are walking in heavenly wisdom, when we are responding in God's counsel, the direction, the example of Jesus Christ that offered his example, that offered partnership, we're going to be walking in gentleness. So I've, I've said this before. We've actually run these numbers before in a service. And we're going to run them again because I want it to be understood that gentleness is never weak. You can't mistake gentleness for weakness. I mean, it's really important that we understand that because that's really what I wrestled with in, in handling the situations, and they were plural, that I was needing to deal with this week. How do I actually lift this guy up without setting a standard for this bad behavior to just be ignored? I can't ignore it. I have to address it and deal with it but I can either deal with it in a way that, that is destructive or I can deal with it in a way that is productive. So when I consider gentleness not being weak, I, I look to the example that we have in Jesus. I mean, there's, there's times when Jesus would speak and it's very easy to just think, well, that's interesting that he said that. I wonder why he said that. It, it, we can take those moments and we can dig into them and we can find out why he said it or, or what they mean. I'll give you a passage of scripture here I'm going to, to give you a verse, but I'm going to paraphrase kind of the whole area there. Matthew chapter 26, and the verse, verses would be somewhere around verse you know, 50 or 51 through 54, something along those lines. 
But in this passage of scripture, you see Jesus facing the most incredible challenge of his life. He's on his way to the cross. He knows of the the, the pain and the suffering and the sorrow, the mocking. He knows of everything that he's going to go through, the rejection. He's fully aware. I mean, you know he's fully aware based on his prayer. You know, Father, if there's any other way, let's go that way. But, you know, not my will, but your will. I mean, that's his prayer. So you know he's aware. You know that he would, would prefer any other way, but yet he knows this is the only way. So Jesus is dealing with what I would call a high-stress moment, knowing that he's got to deal with something that is extreme in its discomfort. In fact, I, I think it would be safe to say the most extremely uncomfortable moment that any human being has ever walked through. He is about to take on himself the sins of all of the world. We can't imagine what that might feel like. He's about to face and satisfy the full wrath of God. I don't think we can imagine what that might feel like. To think that he just knows he's going to die is an understatement. The stress of the moment is unbelievably phenomenal. And in dealing in this high-stress moment, the one who promises to give his example, the one who says, here's why I'm qualified, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Let's partner together so that you can respond rightly when you're faced with stress and difficulty. It'll be rest for your soul. You won't be stressed and freaking out. Just do the way that I do, and you'll get a better result. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is facing his high-stress moment. And in this passage of Scripture, we see that that in this moment, there's a single instant when it says, and they laid seas to him. They grabbed him. They arrested him. In this passage of Scripture, you see that one of of the followers of Jesus, a disciple, uh, we would identify him as Peter. You drew a sword and and began to to swing, and he hacked, and he hacked at one of those that that attacked Jesus or that apprehended Jesus, excuse me, and he he struck him and he, he cut his ear off, you know. So Peter gets all kinds of, of, of bad press. I mean, I've heard people say that and say, you know, what a loser. He, he, he couldn't even hit a guy with a sword. You know, he missed, you know. But I hear that and I'm thinking, that dude was aiming for the head. I mean, this guy, this guy meant business, you know. I mean, golly. Uh, so no matter how you see the situation, the reality is you have a situation here that, that's, that's being responded to with violence. And Jesus turns to this situation. You know, I mean, the, the, the passage reveals that he, he picks up the ear, he, he, he actually heals the guy who was struck, which is really phenomenal, and probably spoke volumes to the crowd that were there arresting him. But then he says something, and he says something that I think is really interesting. You know, he's already told us, hey, follow my example. I'm, I'm, I'm humble of heart, uh, I'm, I'm gentle, I'm a good example to follow when you're faced with stress. And in this moment, his high-stress moment, when violence becomes the response, he, he stops everybody and he says this. He says, do you not think? I mean, that's kind of an important question. Do you not think? It's like, well, maybe I should. <laughs> you know, I should stop and think about this. You know? I mean, next time I want to bail out of my truck and pitch a fit like a child, I should probably, do you not think? Yeah, you should think about that. Don't do that. Do you not think that, that I couldn't appeal to my father in that at once he would not put at my disposal more than 12 
legions of angels. It's just an amazing thing to consider that highest of the highest stress moments, violence becomes their response, and Jesus, nope, puts a stop to it. And the one who's given his example in how to handle high-stress moments says this, do you not think? And you have to realize there's still the hush of seeing this guy have his ear cut off and having it put back off. There's still this the awe of the moment. And he says, do you not think? that I couldn't appeal to my Father, and He wouldn't put at my disposal all of these angels. I mean, 12 legions of angels. He actually says more than 12 legions of angels. But I want to offer a little math to you. I mean, we've done this before, but but there's no no harm in doing it again. I want you to consider the numbers here. One, he, He said, you know, 12. So you have 12 legions. Okay, He said more than 12, but let's just go with 12. And the the interpretation of legion for that time is about 6,000. So 12 times 6,000 is going to give you a number of 72,000. 72,000 angels. He's saying, do you not think that I couldn't call on 72,000 angels to come to my defense in this moment? You know? and, and when we live in a world where angels are like chubby babies with wings, that, that's not really very you know, exciting. But when you look at a biblical understanding of angels and a biblical record of angels, it, it's terrifying. I mean, there's a reason why when you see an angel enter the room, the first thing they have to say is, fear not. You know, that's kind of a goal I had when I was younger. I wanted to be so tough that if I walked in a room, I had to say, hey, don't be afraid. You know, just me. But when angels come on the scene, that's the first thing they have to say. Fear not. So there's a, a record in the scripture where the people of Israel are being oppressed. There, there's, there's oppression. Their enemies are upon them. It's, you'll find it in first and second Kings, excuse, excuse me, Second Kings chapter 19, but specifically in verse 35, you, you get a number. In one night, one angel slew 185,000 of the enemies of Israel. In one night. 185,000. Now, honestly, I have to think that, you know, it, it, I don't know if that's kind of its quota. I don't know if that's its limit. I don't know if that kind of ran out of time or if there were only 185,000 guys that were armed. I, I don't know. All I know is what's recorded is one angel took down 185,000 of the enemies of God. So then now we know that Jesus is saying, hey guys, don't respond with violence. Don't you know that I could call upon my Father and he could put uh, more than 12 legions of angels at my disposal to defend me? Run the numbers on that. If one can take out 185,000, 72,000, if they all took out 185,000 apiece, it would be a pretty astronomical number. What do you got? That's what it is. 13 billion 320 million. That's about twice the population of the earth right now. Rough. So Jesus is is saying this. Don't mistake my gentleness for weakness. Don't think that I'm just some some, pansy that couldn't defend myself. 
It is an act of strength to stand silently and to trust God. This is the greatest display of power that I can offer you, to stand and be gentle in the midst of oppression, to stand and be gentle in the midst of dysfunction, to stand and be gentle when facing the lies and the oppression and the violence that awaits me on the other side of this arrest. Don't mistake my gentleness for weakness. My gentleness is a display of the greatest power that God has to offer us, that we can endure, that we cannot lose our witness. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture, and I'm going to read through them quick because they're, they're relatively loose in their connection here, but I think it's a good point to make. That true strength isn't displayed in, in rage and violence, but it's in patient restraint. Psalm 27 14, it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I mean, let me give you an interpretation, and it's a loose interpretation of wait for the Lord. It means don't take matters into your own hands. Let God handle it. Uh, Psalm 31, 24, be strong and let your heart take courage. All of you who hope in the Lord or put trust in the Lord. When facing anxiety, when facing challenge, it's important for us to follow the right example, to not be led astray by our own interests or our own experiences, which could be corrupted with violence and anger and aggression, but to follow the example of the one who is qualified to lead us, Jesus himself, who said he's gentle and he's humble in heart. <clears throat> I mentioned before, there's something that God gives you that makes you great. You know, we kind of gave the example of we've all met people and just thought, wow, that's a great person. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 18, I want to read verses uh, uh, 34, I believe, through around verse 35. I want to read what I've got here. It, it, he trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Now, this is manly talk, right? Warfare talk. He's given me a shield, the shield of salvation. And God, your right hand upholds me. And then this is how this warfare passage ends. Your gentleness makes me great. Now these, these psalms were written, they were set to music. And don't you know that, that when this one's being written, maybe there was a pause. You know, the Holy Spirit is inspiring this psalm unto the Lord and it's being written out about how God makes us strong and he makes us capable and he trains our hands for warfare. And then, you know, somebody puts the last lyric on there and your gentleness makes me great. Don't you know there are a few guys in the room that were like, are you sure you want to put that? What about, you know, like your voice is like thunder? What if we did that? Or, or you make the earth to shake. What, what if we fit a line like that in there? But the Spirit of God is revealing something to us. That, yeah, God has made you strong and capable. He's given you everything you need. Just like Jesus could have destroyed life across the entire face of the earth. But yet it was his gentleness that led to this great work of salvation. His gentleness that made him great. And God has equipped us with wonderful and powerful things. And he's given us the greatest gift through gentleness, that we could walk in restraint. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here that's important. I mentioned to you before there's things that we need to remain aware of. 
You'll, you'll find it, I'm going to paraphrase once again, but you'll find it in Luke chapter 9, specifically around verse 35. But Jesus is walking with his disciples and, and his disciples are rejected. Not rejected for anything personal. They're going to preach the gospel. They want to share the message of Jesus. They're doing great, noble things. They're wanting to cast out devils. They're wanting to heal the sick. They're wanting to bring the kingdom of God and, and destroy the works of the devil. They're wanting to do great things. And they come to know this rejection. And this rejection provokes them. Provokes them to anger and frustration. And they go to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, that city over there, that city, they didn't want anything to do with your message. They kicked us out. And then, you know, you don't know which one of them said it because there's a few of them standing there, but one of them, you know, he probably is just getting kind of ramped up and he just twists off and he says, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and just cook that whole place right off the face of the earth? And you know he says it and he's probably got a grin on his face like, because I'm for you. I'm, I want you to be glorified, Jesus, you know. And when you think about this, I mean, we can read it today and we can just think, oh my gosh, what are you thinking, you know? But, but the reality is, this guy is, is this is a faith-filled statement. I mean, do you want me to call fire down from heaven and see fire come down and consume all of those that rejected us, that hurt our feelings, that, that, that all of those who, who we don't think deserve what, what we carry and what we have? Do you want me to do that? I mean, this guy really put himself out there, right? I mean, he's really stepping out in faith. He really is a believer. And I love that Jesus doesn't crush him. He doesn't say like, you idiot, right? He doesn't say something like that. But he says this, and this is really the question that we need to ask ourselves when we're faced with rejection or when we're faced with hurt or disappointment. Things don't go our way. Jesus asked this question, or he made this statement rather. The statement is, you don't know what spirit you're of. The question that we need to ask when we're faced with frustration or disappointment is, what spirit am I of right now? Is it violent? Is it vindictive? Do I really want to handle it that way because I really want that person to suffer for what they did? Is the spirit that I'm of right now uh, uh, angry? Am I motivated and fueled by my hurt and my wound? Or am I, am I being motivated and fueled by compassion and, and, and graciousness? It's an important thing to ask ourselves when we're faced with disappointment and frustration. As we begin to respond to the situation, as we begin to respond to the rejection, as we begin to respond to the hurt, the wound, whatever it might be, as we begin to respond, it's important to ask, what spirit am I of? I think it's an important thing to, to pray about. God, will you reveal to me what spirit I'm of? Because there's really only one example that I want to follow in this situation. I want to be yoked to Jesus. I want to follow his example because he's gentle and he's humble in heart. And I know that that will bring the result that will bring rest to my soul. That's really why we get into the word. You know, one, it's to, to learn things and see things and, and remind each other of things and, and keep our faith stirred. 
It's also to help us learn how to, to communicate and how to pray. I read these passages of Scripture, and I hope that they invade my prayer life, not just for a short time, you know, a couple of days, and then you move on to something else, but I hope that that becomes a prayer in my life. Father, I want to be a disciple that is faith-filled. I want to be one that, that, that knows that my words have power and that you've anointed my life to do great things for your kingdom. I want to make sure that the, the power that you've placed within my life and the words that you have, have placed within my mouth, I want to make sure that they're effective. Will you please make me aware of what spirit I'm walking in? Protect me from being angry and, and, and functioning in, in vengeance and, and release me and lead me into following the example of our King Jesus. Let his example be set before me. And at the end of the day, please, let my words and my actions be received as, as coming from a man who is humble in heart, coming from a man who is gentle, and let the result be rest. Let it be peace for my soul, that I won't lay in bed awake at night, grinding my teeth in anger, that I won't waste my time in, in, in fury about the situation or the circumstance, but that I might know that I have addressed it and handled it just like Jesus, and that I can wait for the expected result, and that result be peace for my soul. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. I want to offer a prayer and I want to offer a thought and, and, and they're, they're both connected. When I consider that Jesus is offering himself to be an example, to partner, when he says, I want you to take my yoke, I, I want you to learn from me. When he's offering himself to, to, to mentor us in how to handle situations like this. Obviously, he reveals those qualifications, gentleness and humble of heart. But I want us to consider how we respond to that. I mean, the only way that I can be affected by someone's example is to be exposed to that example. If that example exists out there, but yet I never expose myself to that example, I never pursue connection or, or, or uh, awareness of that example, then I might know that that example exists, but it'll never have any effect on my life. And for us here now, the prayer that I want to pray is, is, Father, expose us to Jesus. I mean, let there be a hunger and a passion ignited in our hearts and in our lives to, to pursue Jesus. To pursue him in our prayer, to pursue him in our fellowship, to pursue him in the word. That as we open up the scripture and we read the gospel, it's not just mental gymnastics and, and, and you know, church academics, but that we actually are looking to receive counsel, direction, and example from Jesus in how he handles disappointment and how he handles adversity and how he handles rejection. Let us see how he does it and let his example have an effect on us. Will you please expose us to Jesus? That's what I want to pray. And then I want to encourage you to let that prayer activate something in you. That it can be a, a prayer that's pursued in your own prayer time. That we can open up our Bibles and, and read the gospel in pursuit of that example so that we can expose ourselves to the one who has promised to provide the example that leads to rest. 
So there where you stand, I want to pray. You can simply be in agreement. You might be in a state of receiving. However you choose, I'm praying for us collectively together. I want to trust and believe that God's doing a mighty work by His Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for King Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you that he would offer himself to teach us and to lead us, to partner with us in handling all of the the things that we deal with and that we face. And I ask today, will you cause his example to stand out before our eyes? Let us be exposed to Jesus. Let, Let any previous habits that would be a hindrance be cast down and let new habits be formed that we might open up the scripture with awe and wonder eager and excited to see his example and to apply his example to our lives set us free from from more than just increasing our intelligence with your word but let us increase the good behavior and the gentleness that is meant to flow from us through our words and our actions into this world and bring about the result, the result of rest and the result of peace. Let us bring those things into the lives of those around us, those that are in desperate need, those bruised reeds and those dimly burning wicks that we are surrounded by. Let us raise them up. Let us help them and assist them. And separate us from any old habits and ways that would be crushing and destructive. And let us be a people who would be edifying and uplifting that we would help raise those up around us, that we might all grow, that we might all mature, that we might all be strengthened in you. Let our lives be evangelistic, that as people see gentleness flow from our words and our actions, as they receive the effects of those things, let it be evangelistic, that we would stand out, that we would truly be known as great men and women, and that when the question comes, what makes you so great, we wouldn't hesitate to say, Jesus. And let those around us be drawn to you through the gentleness that makes us great. Expose us to Jesus. Let his example be set before our eyes and let our hearts be given to follow his lead. We bless your name and we thank you for all that you do on our behalf. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.